Welcome to the Hope Connection Radio Show, brought to you by Bishop Harry Jackson and the Hope Christian Church family. Today's message is sure to transform your life and touch your soul. Let's listen in to this powerful teaching by Bishop Jackson, already in progress. This is an attack, but it is an exchange, and there is a covenantal commitment that God says, I will look over you, I'll watch out for you, I'll go ahead of you, and all of that is part of how and why we give the tithe. Look at point two under D. We're going to look at the word mammon. God versus mammon. Under point A, the Robertson book, Word Pictures in the New Testament. It's an amazing book. You can get that online. You can also have a hardbound regular book. I've got them in both forms. Interesting. It's breakdown of Greek words in the New Testament. And it says this, quote, Mammon is a Chaldee, Syriac, and Punic word for like Plutus. Somebody say Plutus. For the money god or devil. The slave of Mammon will obey Mammon while pretending to obey God. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. In other words, you can't give full-throated uh, affirmation of what God says and live that way and also really serve mammon at the same time. You'll love the one, cling to the other, and Robertson says you'll only give lip service to one. You'll pretend to obey God while bowing down to mammon. Can anybody other than me see that that may be part of what's going on as I drive around 495? The other day I was in a place where we had the meeting for this meeting this weekend. The person drove up in a Jaguar and they had all these clothes that they were pulling out the back of the car and they were moving in and out. I was noticing, though, that they had a cane and they were walking with a very distinctive limp and looked like they had been a stroke victim. But they had all the opulence of what we're going to call American advantage and prosperity, but the blessing of health seemed to be escaping them at this moment. And I was marveling at the pride, the opulence. Drive around 495, how many higher-end cars from Mercedes and Lexus and what, what, what is that, that thing, the silver shadow? It's a Rolls Royce uh, and Bentleys. Has anybody seen any of those on the road in D.C.? Maybe three or four of the richest counties in the nation are right around this beltway, and we see financial opulence, and I can't help but think that Robertson is right that some people have transferred confidence from the God of creation to the created stuff. From what God, the God who makes things to what's been made by God. The ba Daily Study Bible, if you look at it here, point B under two says, Jesus goes on to say, you cannot serve God and mammon, 
The correct spelling is with one M. Mammon was a Hebrew word for material possessions. Originally, it was not a bad word at all. The rabbis, for instance, had a saying, let the mammon of thy neighbor be as dear to thee as thine own. In other words, watch out for somebody else's stuff the way you watch out for your own. You got it? That is to say, a man should regard his neighbor's material possessions as being as sacrosanct as his own, but the word mammon had a curious and most revealing history. It comes from a root which means to entrust, and mammon was that a man entrusted to a banker or to a safe deposit of some kind. Mammon was a wealth which a man entrusted so someone or to someone to keep safe for him. But as the years went on, mammon came to mean not that which was entrusted, but that in which a man put his trust. The end of the process was that mammon came to be spelled with a capital M and came to be regarded as nothing less than a God. Now, if we study the rest of Jesus' statement, I'm not going to go into all that. You see it in your note, but essentially fear of loss, anxiety and concern about what's going on with my money and where is it going to be, we can get hung up on that. And point C, that we must express thanksgiving and trust in tithes and offerings, and we must rest, let our hearts rest in the fact that God is watching over us. He's seeing, too, all the things that we will need. Some of us are at an age where you're looking over the horizon to retirement coming up right away. The question that many are asking is, will we have enough? If I don't die exactly on time, will I outlive my money? That's an interesting question. Some are wondering whether they're going to wind up in a nursing home or they're going to wind up nursing at home or what's going to happen to them as they go forward. There are a lot of concerns. Others are just trying to make it. Most of us are trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck. And so the concern about money in this place where we live better clearly than 90% of the rest of the world, we still have money worries, money concerns. And tithing really should be all about making a covenant with God, getting a strategy from God. Are we on our unique life assignment doing what God wants us to do? I find many Christians in our generation don't know what the will of God for their lives is. They are operating in a vocation, hoping and waiting that their true destiny will come along. I'm convinced part of our problem is nothing more than American vanity. If we think more of ourselves than we ought, we see ourselves as history makers. We feel like if the Kardashians can get their own show, so should we. 
Well, let's move right along. Now, I want to talk <laughs> a little bit about the history of tithing. Under point two, you'll see this note here. We're going to go through this quickly. We won't go into everything, but essentially, Abram and Jacob are the progenitors of tithing that is encapsulated in the law. We see that Abraham is the place of first mention. You know that first mention is the first place in the Bible. Any doctrine is mentioned in that place, that point of revelation. Often everything relating to that truth is seen in that first mention. And it's teased out more in the Old and the New Testaments. But here, Genesis 14, we see after four Mesopotamian kings had taken Lot captive, Abraham attacked them and recovered all the spoils of war. After the war, Melchizedek came to him, who we believe was a real figure, and blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, Genesis 14, 20. Question is, we don't know where Abram got the idea from, whether it was just a practice that people had carried out in the Middle East. It certainly predates anything that's written in the Scripture in terms of a rule and regulation about bringing a tithe or 10%. But the idea of protection money is really there, that he is bringing God a tenth, saying, Lord, I'm going to give you this amount. I'm going to believe that it's thanksgiving for the victory and protection against problems in the future. How many got that? And so you can read ver uh, paragraph 2. Skipping to paragraph 3, Genesis 28, we see a story of Jacob. And you all know Jacob, and we know about Jacob's ladder. Anybody here not know about Jacob's ladder? Never heard Jacob's Ladder, never heard a song about Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. I don't sing like this lady over here, so I'll just, I'll just cut that short. But essentially, Jacob goes to sleep in a place that he calls Bethel. It was originally called Luz. It was a place of danger and perversion. And love literally means perverse. And in that place, name perverse, who would name your place that? And he has this revelation of a ladder going from heaven, from the ground rather, up to heaven, angels coming up and down. And Jacob wakes up and says, ah, this place is a hallowed place. He calls it Bethel. But he gets the idea that angelic beings can watch over him. God can look out for him. And he offers to bring God a tithe. He made a covenant with God and says, if you bring me out and bring me home safely, I will surely give you the tenth. I personally believe that it was a cultural concept. I personally believe that it was a practice. And if you were not giving to Almighty God, it would have been superstitious. But for us, it is a matter of faith. And for many of us 
who are not anchored in real revelation, we waver. We'll go through months of tithing, and then we, uh, under pressure, drop off. So the tithe was established. Fourth paragraph in this segment, we'll find Leviticus reference there that everything that went under the rod last week, we talked about the fact that, in fact, during the days of Malachi, that people were offering blind and lame animals to God. They would count 10, but if they found one of their animals was crippled, one of them was going through some problems, they'd take that animal and give it to God. In the New Testament, we find out that what is powerful is that in several references, the Pharisees made comments, Jesus quoted them, saying, I give a tithe of everything. Jesus, in talking about tithing in the New Testament, says, these things, tithes, offerings, you ought to have done, but not to have left the other things undone, not to have left the weightier matters of the law, love, mercy, and justice alone. It's not just about giving your money. It's about giving with the right attitude. It's easy to become legalistic and keep rules and have a mean spirit. Without going into Levitical priesthood, etc., just I'll just read Hebrews 7, 4. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils and indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. All this is saying is that the Levites among the Jews were a special group of people as priests received the tithes and the offerings within the confines of the ordinances of the Old Testament law. How many got that? Verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi receives tithes paid through Abraham so as to speak, for he was still in Lawrence's father when Melchizedek met him. If we were to go into this and had time to go into this, we'd say this, that Jesus is a high priest for the New Testament church after the likeness of Melchizedek, this guy who shows up to whom Abraham gives tithes the first time. How many got this? And that the Old Testament Priests who were descendants of Levi, they receive tithes. And we are, in a sense, moving to a higher principle. The writer of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews, was simply making this statement. The Old Testament was good, but Jesus is better. And Hebrews says, we have a better covenant built on better promises relating directly to Jesus, who is better than anything you understood or could perceive of under the old covenant. How many got that little simplistic line? 
<clears throat> if you've got that, then they say, there is a change going on of the law, meaning Jesus came, sacrificed, gave his life so that we would not be under the punishment and penalty of the law and verbatim, but rather the requirements of the law would be met and that we'd enter into this new and better covenant in Jesus. But there's a new priesthood, and it sounds like if you read it, I'll challenge you to go back and just read this one chapter seven in detail. It sounds like tithes and offerings are not off the table, but rather the Old Testament way of doing it, the pattern and the principle have been maintained, but now we simply bring it to Jesus as an expression of faith in God, and we still bring it through the house of God or his church. Well, did they tithe in the New Testament or not? I would say in the early days, we're about to read this real quickly. In these few minutes, my time, oh my goodness, my time is all up. I'm going to just give you a couple of ways to look at this, and then we're going to prayer. And we're going to pray today about your making commitment to follow God in stewardship. Next week's message, we're going to talk more about stewarding our life calling, discovering and stewarding it as a part of this whole idea of stewardship. It's not just your money. It's not just your resources, but we're to steward a calling and a grace that heaven uniquely has equipped you with. Look under point six, how the apostles used tithing. More than likely, what we see is that the apostles walked it out, used the tithe. It was operative in the New Testament, but hundreds of years later, it kind of, how you saw it, fade out. I've done some research and some reading. Those who are students and scholars of the church would find it wasn't until about the 1800s, early 1800s, that we see lots of messages going back to the issue of tithing and covenantal giving spread all over the, the religious world in Europe and in America, and as a result of the church being able to bring tithes and offerings, we find an amazing release of power, finance, authority. The church was able to become the missions outreach organization that it should have become because of God's blessing on the finances of church members as they made covenant with God around their finances and brought tithes and offerings to the house of God. Am I making any sense? So as the people of God got more prosperous, the work got more powerful, and the name of Jesus was lifted up, and his message and messengers were sent around the world. Notice in A, Acts 20, 33, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that by these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. So we find that Paul was a tent maker. We're going to read a couple of verses and we're going to find 
that he got some resources that came from tithes and offerings from churches that had that revelation of tithing and giving. And then he had resources that he made by his own company. For the sake of argument, I'm going to call it Paul Incorporated, Tent Makers Extraordinaire, all right? Under B, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, in other words, since, he's saying, other apostolic leaders and teachers are receiving tithes and offerings from you, all right? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but enduring all things, lest we hinder the gospel. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen as people are faithful in tithes and offerings. Under point C, 2 Corinthians 11, 8. I, Paul says, robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was absent, or present rather, with you, and indeed I was a burden to no one for what was lacking to me, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Interesting thought. So he's saying, I'm getting financial support as a missionary to help you you didn't have that revelation of giving yet. Going to chapter 12, the 2 Corinthians 12, 13, see it there? No. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. Interesting commentary but as you go back, perhaps, and look at this, it's simply talking about giving that fuels the ministry, right? The way they fund the work they're doing, right? Even ministries require money, right? But the exchange is a covenant that individuals have with God, and we give it unto God. Sometimes people feel like, I'm not going to give my tithe because I don't like what they're doing with my money. No, the issue becomes your commitment to God, their faithfulness. Our faithfulness is another issue. Both must be answered. D, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, or 9, 1, rather. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, skipping down to verse 5, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then it says, God loves a cheerful giver, verse 7. How many hear that Paul is saying, I've sent you word ahead of time to get your offering ready. So when I come, you're not going to feel manipulated. Anybody with me on that? So you can give according to revelation and a principle, not feeling like 
man, I'm just standing over my head. And they're looking, trying to figure out what to do. E and F, I won't go into E. You can read it yourself. Verse or chapter 8 or chapter 6, 6 under F. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Share. It's really about giving. Every commentary in the world will tell you that. Thank you for listening to the Hope Connection radio broadcast. Please be sure to visit us for a Sunday service at our sprawling campus located at 6251 Ammondale Road in Beltsville, Maryland. That's 6251 Ammondale Road in Beltsville, Maryland. We are saving a seat just for you. For more information or to order the broadcast in its entirety, check us out on the web at thehopeconnection.org.